The following recording is a presentation of the Berean Baptist Church of Rohnert Park, California, and of Pastor Val Mark Smith. We are an independent Baptist congregation committed to the accurate presentation of the historical doctrines of the faith. We welcome your visit to our services anytime here in the Rohnert Park area. Now this evening, uh, I would like you to turn to the Gospel of John, chapter 13. And our celebration this evening is, is a, a little bit different from the normal because if instead of preaching the evening message like I normally do, I, I took the opportunity to speak on the Lord's Supper this morning in the morning message. And I was impressed to go in that direction because I thought that it would be good for all the people that were present in the service to hear about the Lord's Supper and how important it is what we're doing here tonight. And this morning's service was about fellowship, and it was about worship. And it was taken from the first church in Acts chapter 2. And I don't think that there's a greater demonstration of fellowship and worship than we find in that verse that we read this morning, the 42nd verse of Acts chapter 2. And uh, the first experience of the Holy Spirit coming upon believers at Pentecost set the precedent for much of what we do in the church. Nearly everything that we do in the church can be found right there in Acts chapter 2, verse number 42. And that verse, you remember, says, And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in breaking of bread and in prayers. And that pretty much says it all right there. Doctrine and fellowship, the Lord's Supper and prayer, those are things that we do in church. And there are other things that are not specifically mentioned underneath those headings, but but are covered by that, such as when it talks about continuing in doctrine, that we come together for the teaching of God's Word. And we must know God's Word in order for us to grow in grace. Speak, O Lord, and give us your word, because that's the way that we grow in grace. And so the principles of the Christian faith help us to grow and help us to become better in knowing what Christ has done for us. And really, that's why I spend a lot of time dealing with the theology of salvation. That's why I don't spend a lot of time on some of the subjects that you think that I might ought to talk about. I like to spend time on the theology of salvation because... It helps us to know God better. That is not just an academic pursuit for me, and I hope it's not for you. We want to know God better in a very deeper way. I remember several years ago telling you the story of a, of a young man in India who was walking along the train tracks one day when he spied a small piece of paper that was caught in the tracks. And it was small, and it was part of a page of the Bible And he just had that one page. In fact, that's the only page in the Bible that ever seen before. Never even had a Bible before. And it was his fortune, or better said, it was by God's providence, that that small scrap of paper, that one page, contained John 3.16. And that was really good news. Good news when he read that and He tried to find somebody who could tell him more about this God that he didn't know about who sent his only son into the world to die for sin. Now, that part of the Gospel of John is great. And there's enough there uh, for any person to believe and to be saved. But I very seriously doubt that there's anybody here tonight who would say that what we ought to do is stop at John 3.16. 
Or that all that we need in the Bible is John chapter 3, and that's how to tell people how they can be saved. Now, it's certain of this, that John chapter 3 contains a seed of faith that can germinate, but that it's not enough to, to produce in a Christian a vibrant and growing life that he needs to be like Christ. Babies can survive on milk, but we do know the Word of God says that we are expected to do more than just be babies, but we are to grow. We're not to stay babies. We are to grow, and we grow in the Word of God. And so that's what your church is for. Your church is to bring you into the fellowship of other Christians where you can be together with them, hear the Word of God, and learn to grow in the grace of God. Now this evening, I don't want to preach another sermon. And that might make you happy or sad. If it makes you happy, you probably need another sermon. Uh, but I, what I really wanted to do tonight, I just kind of wanted to sing these songs that, that we were singing. And I wanted to contemplate the words of those songs. And, and they were some really great words. And what a privilege it is for us to be here tonight to sing those kinds of things. And so I thought that I could just go by without saying something. But then I realized that I can't actually do that. I can't do all that singing and listen to the songs and, and just the words that we have there and forego all of that and not read Scripture to you and at least make a few comments. And that's what I'm going to do tonight. I'm not going to keep you long in this. Uh, we're going to read some Scripture and as we go along I'll make a few comments on what we're reading and then uh, at the end I'll just make a few more. But don't get too worried about it because I'm not going to I'm not going to preach a long time here. So for those of you that are keeping score, this is not a full-blown expositional sermon. So you'll, you'll forgive me for that. Now, I mentioned in the morning message that Matthew, Mark, and Luke all record details about the supper. But when we come to the Gospel of John, John is a non-synoptic gospel, and there are many things in the Gospel of John that he doesn't talk about that are talked about in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And when it came to the Lord's Supper, the Apostle John didn't talk about the Lord's Supper per se, but instead he recorded a great story that took place during that same night after the supper had been given. And that great story uh, relates, uh, is great to relate in conjunction with the supper because it shows what will happen to us as the people of God when our hearts are humbled by this gift of Christ that's been given for us. What we will want to do is to serve others like Christ served others. We will appreciate so much what Christ has done for us that in our lives we very much want to be exactly at the best of our ability through the power of the Holy Spirit what Christ was. Now let's read what happened after the supper. This was before they sang the hymn, before they went out to the Mount of Olives. This took place, John 13, on the same night that Jesus was betrayed and at the, right after the Passover, last Passover. Now look at verse number 1. It says, Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour was come, that he should depart out of this world unto the Father, having loved his own which were in the world, he loved them unto the end. And supper being ended, the devil, having now put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he was come from God and went to God, he riseth from supper and laid aside his garments and took a towel and girded himself. After that, he poureth water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel wherewith he was girded. Then cometh he to Simon Peter, 
And Peter saith unto him, Lord, dost thou wash my feet? Jesus answered, answered and said unto him, What I do thou knowest not, thou knowest not now, but thou shalt know hereafter. Peter saith unto him, Thou shalt never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, If I wash thee not, thou hast no part with me. Simon Peter saith unto him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. And let me stop there for just a moment. There we see that the apostle Peter thought that this was too far beneath the Lord Jesus Christ to bend down and to wash his feet. And Peter protested against that. He ought not to wash his, wash his feet. And then Jesus said, if I don't wash your feet, you're not going to have part with me. And that's when Simon Peter replies, well, not just my feet, but wash me all over. And that was because Peter wanted to have this, the, the most intimate fellowship that he could have with Christ. And he thought that this is what he needed. He needed to be washed clean all over. But as we'll see here in just a moment, that's not necessary because he already had his salvation in Jesus Christ. And what he needed was not to have his whole self, his whole soul or anything else washed completely again. That's done. But in order for him to have fellowship with Christ in the way that it needs to be done, to follow Christ in a close relationship every single day, Jesus is demonstrating here that there must be repentance from our sins. Now, don't ever think that when you repent of your sins, when you become a Christian, that's the end of all the repentance that you do. No, the Christian life is one of continual repentance. And you should know that, because when you go to the Lord in prayer, that's one of the things that you do. Forgive us our debts. Forgive us the sins that we have committed. And and you as a Christian, you know that. You know that you can't come to God in prayer honestly and come to Him with a sense that I'm really close where I need to be and God's going to hear me. Just like David said, if I I sin and I have it in my heart, then I know God's not going to pay attention to me. And you know that as a Christian. So repentance is something that has to go on every day, and that's what the Lord is talking about here. We need to maintain that closeness of fellowship with him. And then he goes on here, it goes on in verse number 10, Jesus saith to him, He that is washed needeth not save to wash his feet, or only his feet, but is clean every whit, and ye are clean, but not all. These are men that have been washed when the blood of Jesus Christ already by their faith in him... In verse 11 it says, For he knew who should betray him, therefore he said, Ye are not all clean. Now lest someone might argue that Judas was a Christian who lost his salvation, we find right here that that is not true. They were not all clean. Judas had not been washed in the blood of Jesus Christ. And Jesus knew that. He knew it from the very beginning what Judas was going to do. And then verse 12, so after he had washed their feet and taken his garments and was set down again, he said unto them, know ye what I have done to you? Ye call me master and Lord, and ye say, well, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and master, have washed your feet, ye also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that ye should do as I have done to you. And there the Lord says, you think? that washing feet is beneath me? Well, if it's not beneath me, and it wasn't because he had come to be a servant, he said, if washing feet is not beneath me, how can it possibly be beneath you? Then you have to bow to the mastery of Christ and do as he did. If he washed feet, then certainly we ought to do as the master did. And that just simply means serve one another. 
in any way that we can, serve one another. Verse 16, he says, Verily, verily, I say unto you, the servant is not greater than his Lord, neither he that is sent greater than he that sent him. If ye know these things, happy are ye if you do them. I speak not of you all. I know, I know whom I have chosen, but that the scripture may be fulfilled. He that eateth bread with me had lifted up his head against me, now, or lifted up his heel against me. Now I tell you before it come that when it has come to pass, ye may believe that I am he. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that receiveth whomsoever I send, receiveth me, and he that receiveth me, receiveth him that sent me. Now I think that we see in this story is just a beautiful aspect of Christianity that flows out of the fellowship of the supper. Now as I, as I say again, the supper had already ended when this takes place. And this kind of thing just flowed out of the supper. And this is a, uh, Jesus is showing a commitment that we must have to each other. That we must serve each other as Christ serve. We want the very same selfless devotion that Christ displayed to be a part of our lives as we are a body that's united in one hope of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we do this because we appreciate so much what Christ has done for us. We want to be like him. Now, if you indulge me just, just for a moment longer, I want you to look back at verses 1 and 2. Now, before the feast of the Passover... When Jesus knew that his hour was come, that he should depart out of the world unto the Father, having loved his own which were in the world, he loved them unto the end. And supper being ended, the devil having now put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him. Now, very quickly, I want to give you three thoughts here. And you might want to just develop these a little bit later on your own. But these are thoughts about service. What is it that is the driving force of our service? And I think that we can find these things exemplified in this part of the passage. Now, there's a whole lot more to be said. This is such a great passage in the Word of God. We could preach for a long time on it. But just very quickly, I want to talk to you about three things that we find in those verses that drive us in our service to the Lord. Now, the first thing that we notice here, uh, that Jesus knew that his time was short. We need to know that our time is short. Jesus knew that the hour had come, and so there wasn't a whole lot of time for him to do more teaching. These three chapters, from chapter 13 to chapter 16, are simply a flurry of last-minute teachings that Jesus gave the disciples before he was betrayed in the Garden of Gethsemane. And there wasn't a lot of time for Jesus to go into life examples because he wasn't going to go back out into the world again. He wasn't going out there to live in front of their eyes what a Christian needs to do. And so here, right here at the end of the supper, he grabbed a towel and a basin of water and he washed their feet. And that couldn't have been a more poignant moment for the master teacher because the time was short. And right there, in an eye-popping demonstration, he showed them what they needed to be. And this is what we have to do. We likewise have to remember that the time of our service is short. That we don't have a lot of time to spend on this. We don't have forever to spend on this. There are people that need the gospel now. There are people that, that need to hear now. There are people that are dying now. People are going to hell. And our prayer page is a testimony every week when we come on Wednesday night that there is a sense of urgency in this, that time is short. And the hour of our service to one another is short as well. 
Someday you're, you're going to look back at your prayer page to somebody that we may have mentioned, and there are some on that prayer page that have been there for a long, long time, and some of them are people that could have used your help. But you were too busy, and you had some other things to do, many other things to do, and time goes by, and time goes by, and time goes by, and you never really think about doing anything for the people that are on that prayer page. And one day you're going to look up, and you're going to find out the time is gone. It's all gone. That person is gone too. And your time of opportunity to service with them, to serve them, has gone. You know, I was reminded of this so much yesterday when I went over to Sebastopol to see Brother Jack Campbell in the nursing home over there. And Jack is getting very old now. I don't know how much that he remembers. I don't even know if he's going to remember the visit that I made to him. He, he looked at me and he said, Somebody told me that my brother Mac had died. And I said, yeah, Jack, he did. Several years ago, he died. I don't know how long a Jack has. I don't know how much he can remember, but I do know this. I remember who he is, and I remember what he did in this church, and I remember how it's service after service after service, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, whenever we met as the people of God, you could count on that family being here. They were here all the time. And I told Jack yesterday, I remember seeing that pew filled up with your family. And I remember your service to the Lord. But I know that Jack goes day after day after day after day in that nursing home. And nobody goes to see that faithful man of God. And we need to have a sense of urgency. That time is short. What, what are we really doing for these people who love the Lord so much that they spent their time in this church but now they can't come because of some physical infirmity and he told me I would love to be there I wish that I could come what are we doing to serve people like that and I have to admit I'm, I'm guilty and I know that all of us in here are guilty of this very thing our time is short and one day we're going to find out our time is gone and the people that we could have served, that needed our help, that needed some comfort, that needed some prayer, that needed somebody to talk to, there just wasn't anybody to do it. We had too many other things to do. Folks, there needs to be a sense of urgency. The time to serve Christ is now. Jesus knew his time was short, and we need to know our time is short. Now, the second thing that we find in this passage is it tells us here that Jesus loved his own he loved his own. Christ loved his own. Having loved his own, which were in the world, he loved them until the end. Christ loved these men, and when he died, he committed that same love to each of them. In other words, he's telling them right here in this passage that you love one another just as I have loved you. You show that same kind of love that I have shown you. Now notice again verse number 14 where it says, If I then, your Lord and Master, have washed your feet, ye also ought to wash one another's feet. This is a life of service. This is giving something. John wrote in 1 John 3.16, Hereby perceive we the love of God, because he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. Now you remember that these disciples were not very much into selfless devotion. <laughs> these are men that were constantly jockeying for position during the ministry of Christ. 
What they wanted to know is where are we going to sit? What kind of recognition are we going to have when you come into your kingdom? And you know that James and John had dibs on the right hand and the left hand of God. They even convinced their mother to go ask Jesus about that. And the other disciples were very upset about it. And as I said, when we studied that passage, I suspect that they were upset because they didn't get to ask first. They didn't think to get there first, ask about it. So these are not men that are into selfless devotion. And when Jesus took that towel and the water and he bent down to wash their feet, he demonstrated that they were to stop thinking about self and to do what he did. Visually, he was showing them, step off of that throne that you think that you need, that you must have, that you are, that you are fighting each other for. Step off of that throne and be willing to do something and to become a servant. And that's what he did. Only he didn't step off a throne that's on the right hand or a seat on the right hand or a seat on the left hand. He stepped off of the throne. The very throne of God. He stepped off to condescend to the place of man in humanity to become a servant for us. That's the example that he leaves the disciples. And if you really love somebody, this is what you do. You put yourself down and you hold up that object of affection. And Christ's love is that incentive that we have to do likewise, to love each other. The greatest commandment, the Bible says, is to love God with our heart, our soul, and the mind. And he said, and the next one is just like it. It's patterned after it. To love each other, to love our neighbors as ourselves. Now the third motivation is found in verse number 2. And supper being ended, the devil having now put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him. Now the third thing about that drove this service of Christ to do what he did is he knew the enemy. He knew what the enemy was up to. He knew the enemy was at the gate. There was a betrayal that was coming, and yet he was prepared to face this enemy. Temptation would come. In his humanity, there was not a greater temptation than he faced, that he faced, than to avoid the death of the cross. Do you remember when Peter tried to defend him and didn't want him to go to the cross, that Jesus said, Thinkest thou that I cannot now pray to my Father, and he shall presently give me more than twelve legions of angels? Can you imagine knowing what Jesus knew and having that temptation that was before him all of the time, that he could have called those angels to deliver him, he could have used that power, he could have just spoken the word, just avoided it all with a spoken command, but he didn't do it. He faced the temptation. He was prepared for that. And so it is that when we serve each other, we need to remember that the enemy is going to tempt us with all types of self-serving excuses. All kinds of self-serving reasons why we can't help each other. And you need to remember this. Every one of us is daily faced with temptations of all sorts. And those temptations can make us unloving. Those temptations can make us short with each other. The pressures of life can cause us to be angry at one another. We can carry our feelings around on our sleeves or a chip on our shoulder. That's the devil tempting us. And we need to remember this, that we are the body of Christ. We can't lash out at each other. We can't be angry with each other. We can't hurt each other because we are a body. And nobody in their right mind hurts their own body. Do you understand that? 
Nobody in their right mind will hurt their own body. They will not abuse their own body. This is what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 12. The members should have the same care one for another. And whether one member suffer, all the members suffer with it. Or whether one member be honored, all the members rejoice with it. Now ye are the body of Christ and members in particular. And so instead of fighting each other, instead of being apathetic towards each other, we need to understand that the devil is there always. Your enemy is always there trying to destroy unity. He's trying to break down the unity of the church and put a wedge between your brothers and sisters, between you and your brothers and sisters in Christ. And so what we have to do with that knowledge, knowing what our enemy is up to, we have got to close ranks. We've got to gather in around each other, and we must protect each other. Do you know this is what the Bible talks about when it says that when you, when you see a person that's fallen into sin, when you see someone in the church that's fallen into some kind of sin, that you need to go and talk to that person? And you need to try to help them, to bring them out of that, to get them back in the, uh, to where they're serving God as they should. That's a responsibility that Christians have, to watch over each other, protect one another. I think that Peter learned a great lesson from John 13, because he later wrote, but the end of all things is at hand. Be ye therefore sober and watch unto prayer. And above all things have fervent charity among yourselves. For charity shall cover the multitude of sins. Use hospitality one to another without grudging. As every man hath received the gift, even so minister the same one to another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. What a verse, what a series of verses there. As you have received that gift, as you have received the gift of salvation, as you have received Jesus Christ himself, minister the same things that he did to one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. God has given you the gift of grace. Use that grace on your brothers and sisters. Now, this is what I wanted to do. I just wanted to encourage you about this, these things as you serve Christ and you serve each other. Know this, that the time is short. Know that Christ loved his own, and so we ought to love them as well. Know the enemy. Keep your eyes wide open for the enemy. And take every opportunity that you have to serve, love, and protect your brothers and sisters in Christ. Well, we can't go here in the Gospel of John and read about the Lord's Supper. So what I'd like you to do is take your Bibles now and if you would just turn back to Matthew chapter 26 and verse number 26. And when you found that, let's just hold it there for a minute while we pray. Now it's important that we do come to the supper with our sins confessed. And so if you've not thought about that, if you've come here and you haven't thought about confession of your sins, then what we really need to do is confess them now. So we're going to take uh, just a moment as we usually do with a silent word of prayer so that we don't come unworthily to the Lord's table. Let's pray. Everyone silently. Thank you for listening to this presentation of the Berean Baptist Church of Ronan Park, California. If you would like further information about our church, please feel free to call us at area code 707-584-7275 or write to us at Berean Baptist Church, 6298 Country Club Drive, 
Rohnert Park, California, 94928. Additionally, you may visit us on the World Wide Web at www.bebaptist.org.